0: Today's scripture is Numbers 6, 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to see all of you. My name is Eric. I'm the pastor here. If I haven't had the chance to personally meet you and greet you, I would love the chance to do so. So, we have been in a teaching series since the beginning of the year. It's been called Liturgy for Life. And what we've been doing is taking a look at our Sunday liturgy. In other words, each part and each piece of our Sunday worship service. And we've been looking at each part and asking, okay, uh, for those of us who are regularly coming to worship on Sundays, we do this week in, we do this week out, why? Why do we do it? Why do we need it? And as we've been doing that, the reason is not just to understand the meaning behind it, but that in every part of the service, we might have hearts that are more expectant, and open to what God wants to do from beginning to end in our liturgy. We've also been, in addition to that question, taking that and asking, okay, this is what we do on Sundays. How might that, each part of our Sunday liturgy, how might that shape my Monday through Saturday liturgy for life? How might each part become a part of the routines and the rhythms and the habits of my life So that my life might be more built on and centered on Jesus. That's what we've been doing and now we are closing it out this morning. We're looking at how we close out and end all of our services. Every gathering that we have in life, just think about this. Whether it's a lunch meeting or a quick interaction that you have with somebody else. Even a phone call. However large or small, two people. At some point that gathering ends. And you have to do something. Somebody has to say something and do something to say, okay, this is done right now. You say sometimes goodbye. Sometimes you say, okay, we're done here. Or see you later, right? Uh, When two people are in the puppy love stage of their relationship or whatever we want to call that, infatuation and all that, it's wonderful. And often you're on the phone with your beloved and you're saying, No, you hang up first. No, no, I don't want to say bye, you hang up first. Very cute and wonderful, but that's another way We, we want to say it's over. And often, when we communicate a goodbye to each other, we want to say more than goodbye, we want to say something like take care, right? Or to those that we're very close with, our family members, close friends, we might say, I love you. So more than just bye, this is over. We want to end that interaction, and we want to send that person off or send the people we're with off with a wish for their good. So the way that we part, the way that we end conversations and gatherings, it ends it, and it also sends. In the same way, every worship service, every Sunday morning, has to end in some way. Something has to be last. So how should we end our gatherings for worship each week. How do we end and how do we send? You could think of a lot of different ways, right? You could say, all right, everybody, that was great. See you next week. Same time, same place, right? You could just say, have a good week, everyone. If we did that, something would feel like it was missing. We could end with a charge and say, here's what you've learned today. Here's what we've looked at. Here's your main takeaway. Now go and do that. Or maybe more fitting would be a prayer. But there's something that the Bible gives us, it's a practice, it's a liturgy for ending our worship gatherings that goes back 5,000 years plus, all the way to the passage that we just heard read together, and we call it the benediction. If you look at the passage, I know it's in your PowerPoint, maybe we could just put it up there, Um, go back a few slides. Here, God told Moses to tell Aaron, who was the worship leader of Israel, he was the high priest, he says, this is what you should say to the people of Israel to end the gathering and to send them out. Ever since then, the Jewish people and the Christian church have been closing their gatherings with this very benediction or others that are inspired by it, often found at the end of the New Testament letters and epistles. So we're pulling this benediction out of, as you can see, the book of Numbers. One of the books of the Bible, the book of Numbers, is one of those books of the Bible that really could use a rebranding because unless you're like a mathematician or an accountant who wants to read a book called Numbers, it's not a good title. The Hebrew title is actually much better. The Hebrew title is In the Wilderness. That's what this book is about. It picks up Where the story of Exodus left off, the people have been rescued from Egypt. They've been brought to Mount Sinai to worship God and to enter into covenant relationship with Him. Then they build the tabernacle as the site of their worship gatherings. And now, at this point in the story, here's what's going on in the book of Numbers. It's time to be sent out into the wilderness to the promised land on that journey. Just a few chapters after this, that journey begins. But first, before they go out, God gives them something. I just want you to look at this. If you have your Bible, just look at the words here. If this is true, if the words here are really true about these people and their lives, if they're not just nice religious words that you say just to say, bye, this is over, this religious gathering ends, if it's not just that, If these words are true, then they can go out into the wilderness with confidence. No matter what they'll encounter, no matter what they'll face, they will be prepared for any of it. They'll be empowered and equipped to face trials and challenges that are sure to lie ahead. Nothing that they will encounter will be outside of what these words will give them to face with boldness, with endurance, and hope. And that's why God gave them these words before they were sent out. He said, I want to give you something. It'll prepare you for anything in life, no matter what you'll encounter. Now, I want to ask all of you, do you want something like that? Something that you have that enables you to go out into the world and face anything. Something that you have that can prepare you for, get you through any suffering or any trial. Something in your lowest moments that you can grab a hold of that will keep you going. Something that's not very complicated. It's very simple, yet it's comprehensive. There is something like this. And it's right here. It's the benediction. Now, that is quite a claim that I am making and I want to show you this morning that it is real, and it is true, and it's all here for us. I have three points in the message. It will um, appear on the slides, I believe. Our search for this blessing, our search for this thing that can get us through anything. Number two, how do we find it? And three, what happens when we get it and when we have it? So first... We need to realize that what's here in these words, in this benediction, is something that every single human being, all of us here, are searching for. Every single one of us in the deepest part of our souls is longing to hear these words spoken over us. Not just take care, have a a good day, not just those words, not just even as a hopeful prayer for our lives, but... As a blessing. And I want to prove this to you that we're all searching for this. To do this, we first need to define what a benediction is. What is a blessing anyway? Benediction, the English word comes from two Latin words, benediction, which means good word, diction, speak. A good word. A benediction is to speak good over or into someone. In Greek, the word is eulogio. It's where we get the word eulogy. When somebody speaks good over another person's life. Blessing in the Bible goes all the way back to creation. I'll get to that slide in a moment. Let's put that. Don't get distracted by that yet. First, I want to lay the foundation. Blessing in the Bible goes all the way back to Genesis 1. Back to the creation. It says in Genesis 1:27: God created humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God created humanity, Adam and Eve. And then it says... He blessed them. Now I want to ask you a question. God created Adam and Eve. There they are. They're made. They have this world. They're in the Garden of Eden. They're created. And then it says, he blessed them. But what did the blessing do that hadn't already been done? They were already created in there and given these these great gifts. The answer is to bless Was God pronouncing good over them? To bless is to speak and pronounce good over a person. He is saying it is very good that you are alive, that you are here. He was delighting in humanity. It was affirmation, but there's more. There's affirmation, there's something else. It is also to empower them. He said be fruitful and multiply. To bless is then to confer or to give the ability to be and to do what God has made us to be and to do. That's what's going on. He made them. He blessed them. He delighted in them and said, the thing that I've made you for, I've given you the ability to go out and to do it. That's blessing. It's one of the most important themes in the book of Genesis. We see it in the creation. We see God blessing Abraham. He says, I will bless you. And then God blesses His son Isaac, Abraham's son, and Isaac blesses his son Jacob, and Jacob blesses his sons to affirm them and to empower them. So now we can look at that definition. Here's one that I think is really helpful that summarizes all that. To bless is a transmittal or an endowment of the power of God's goodness and favor, usually through the spoken word and often when human beings do it with the accompanying act of laying on of hands. Blessing is a very rich concept, but we can summarize it in the two words I already said, affirmation and empowerment. Affirmation, it is good that you are here. It is good that you are alive. I delight in you and empowerment. Not only am I delighting in you, I'm empowering you to do and to be what God has made you to do and to be. We are all searching for this. Every person deep down has two questions. Am I loved? And do I have what it takes? Am I loved? Do I matter to someone? Does someone look at my life and say, it is good. It is good you are alive. I delight in you. And do I have what it takes to go out into the world and to do and be what I'm supposed to be? If you can answer yes to those two questions, arguably you have the answer to the most powerful, the two most important questions that can shape your life and send you out into the world with confidence, with a sense of your worth, with boldness, with certainty. But if you can't answer, yes, am I loved? I don't know. Do I have what it takes? I don't think so. Then your life is filled with insecurity, with worry, with anxiety, with fear, with a sense of worthlessness, hesitation, and shame. Kurt Thompson is a psychiatrist and neuroscientist who also writes about spiritual formation. We hope that Kurt will actually be our next Wisdom Initiative speaker. We're lining up a date for him to speak on mental health. But Kurt Thompson says this. He says, this is a fact of life. Every human being is born into the world and is searching for one thing, What is that one thing? It's a face. We're born into the world. What we're most looking for is a face, a face that looks at us and says, I am so glad you are here. I delight in you, little one. Every baby is looking for that face. And we know from many studies when tragically, when an infant doesn't receive that face, they won't even eat. They refuse to eat and often don't survive. We are born searching for the blessing of affirmation. And as we get older, in addition to the question of affirmation, we, we begin asking, do I have what it takes? And parents with our kids were often saying, you can do it, you can do it. When an infant is walking, you can do it, you can do it. Take the next step. When our kids learn how to ride their bikes, we're saying, you can do it, get on the bike. If you can do it, you have what it takes. And we ask that question throughout our lives, affirmation and empowerment. Here in this passage, God says, this is how, to Aaron, the worship leader, you are to bless my people. This is how I want the gathering of worship to end, the last thing to be said before they go out into the world, into the wilderness, say this to them, may the Lord bless you. May he speak good over your life. May he prosper you. May he bless you. May the Lord keep you. What does keep mean? That means guard or protect. So if God is guarding you, if you are a quarterback, to use a football illustration, if God is guarding you, if he's blocking for you, you will not get sacked. (laughs) No one's getting through. Let him keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, the face of God is the closeness of his relational presence, that you don't just know about God, you know him intimately and closely. May he be gracious to you. May God bring good to you, even when you don't deserve it. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. Sometimes that's translated, may he turn his face towards you. The idea is of the smile of God. May God smile upon you in your life. And may he give you peace. And that wraps it all up at the end. The all-encompassing Hebrew word. Kids, every time we do a family service, I haven't forgotten, I try to teach you a word. The word for today, all the kids in here, shalom. Turn to somebody, kids, and say shalom. Shalom, that's the Hebrew word for peace. That's the Hebrew greeting, even to this day, the Jewish greeting. Shalom, shalom. Peace means more than just you're not fighting with anybody. There's an absence of conflict. Shalom is wholeness, harmony with God, with others, with yourself, and even with creation. May the Lord give you peace. May the Lord make you whole. Okay. If God exists, if the God of the Bible is real and true, and he is our creator And Lord, would you look at this passage one more time, right here in this benediction, in this passage, that's everything we need. What more could we want than this being true of us, being spoken over us and into us by God himself? The affirmation and the empowerment of God, his face, his smile, his delight, his protection, his promise of wholeness in all of life. That's everything. What more could we want? In 1979, there was an exciting discovery made by archaeologists. You can go ahead and put that little picture up. There are fragments. These fragments were found of a metal scroll. On this metal was inscribed the oldest biblical text ever discovered, all the way back from the 6th or 7th century B.C., this predated the previous oldest text, the Dead Sea Scrolls, by 500 years. It was an exciting discovery. You see that picture. What do you think's on there? Well, you have a big clue. <laughs> Whoever owned this amulet, you know, maybe they were buried with it. Of all the passages of scripture, so the one that I want to carry—it was a metal. Um, this metal fragment is an amulet. Is worn around your arms. It was this metal wrapped around your wrist or your arm as a band. Out of all the passages of scripture that I want wrapped around me to carry with me, wherever I go, it was this blessing that we just read, the ironic blessing. What a picture. <laughs> if I can have one thing that I carry with me wherever I go, that if it's true I can face anything, it's all there. It's all there in the benediction. So how do we find it? If you've been reading along in our CBR, um, reading in our Bible plan, you recently read the story of Jacob. His whole life story, if you know the life of Jacob, is about his search for blessing and how we can find it. Jacob was a twin. His twin brother was Esau. His, his dad was Isaac. His mom was Rebecca. But, you know, twins, somebody has to be born first, and so was Esau. He, he was born first, and at the time... The firstborn son gets, gets the large share of the blessing and the inheritance. But when Jacob was born, he came right out after Esau and he was grabbing onto his brother's heel, as the story goes. It was like he was saying, No, me first. But he couldn't make it. Esau came out first. And so he was named Jacob, which literally translated means heel grabber. Not the most. <laughs> Exciting name to have and carry with you your whole life. In the the Hebrew, Jacob or um, heel grabber, it was an idiom for deceiver, somebody who deceives, a trickster. As they grew up, Esau was dad's favorite. Isaac, the dad, approved of Esau's skills, but not of Jacob's, and he ignored him. So Jacob didn't have the affirmation and the blessing of his dad. His dad never said, son, I love you, dad. Son, you have what it takes. He preferred Esau. And we see from the story of Jacob how much this crushed him. How much he kept searching. How much he wanted to force his way into that blessing. And that would be true of any of us, never to receive our parents' blessing. So what did Jacob do? He had to have this blessing... So he deceived his dad. He tricked his dad when his dad was old, and it was time to give the blessing. The story goes that he dressed like Esau. He, he figured out a way, with his mom's help, actually, to trick his dad into giving him the blessing that he was intending to give to Esau. And he had to know that that would break apart his whole family when they found out. And sure enough, it did. His dad was distraught. His brother said, I'm going to kill my brother Jacob when... Our father passes away, so Jacob ran, and he kept searching for the blessing. He kept pretending. He kept deceiving, and his life, chapter after chapter, was just a broken mess. And then the moment came later on in his life where he had to meet his brother Esau again, and the last memory he had of his brother was, he's trying to kill me. So again, he thought, I'm going to lose everything, and there alone, we're told that God met him in the form of a man and wrestled him you may know this story it's a mysterious story they wrestle and they wrestle and finally it's like a tie and jacob says to this mysterious character i'm not going to let you go until you bless me and this was the point of the whole thing god was saying now you get it jacob the affirmation you're searching for, the empowerment for good that you long for, it can only be found in me. What you've been fighting for your whole life, only I can give to you. And so God changed his name right there. He said, no longer are you Jacob, the deceiver. You are now Israel, the one who wrestles with God. It's so clear here from this benediction that What we're searching for, the affirmation and this empowerment can only be found in God. Three times in the benediction it says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. That's not necessary in the language in Hebrew. But three times it says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. In verse 27, we also see a hint there in the grammar where God says, and I will bless them when you say this. I will, again, that was unnecessary in the grammar of the Hebrew, but it's emphatic. I We'll bless them. We might look at the second half of those blessings. I want God's protection. I want God's grace and favor. I want peace and wholeness in my life, but we can't have the second half. We don't have the first half, the Lord himself. Blessing can only be found in him. Just saw yesterday on NPR a story. There was a story listing how people... um, write out personal affirmations for themselves to read. So there's a whole bunch of these affirmations. So this, this, is, uh, this is how people build themselves up and affirm themselves. And It reminded me when I was a kid, uh, there was a skit, Saturday Night Live, a comedy skit. There was a character named Stuart Smalley. Some of you remember him, but he, he had a little talk show. Almost all the time, it was just him. And he would sit in a chair, and right next to him was a mirror. And the main, po- the, main, <laughs> the main thing that happened every time in the skit is Stuart would turn to the mirror and he would say, you're good enough. You're smart enough. And doggone it, people like you. And so he was just practicing this idea of I can look at myself in the mirror and give myself the blessing. Why do we do all that? We're looking for blessing. We're trying to bless ourselves. We say we don't care what other people think but we know that doesn't work. That's why we have those affirmations. That's why we try to do that because we're trying to tell ourselves and bless ourselves, but we can. We can't bless ourselves. So there's all these other ways we try to get it outside of ourselves. These are are some silly ways, but but stay with me. I think they're significant. We have fortune cookies, right? There's always a blessing inside. We have horoscopes. They're always a blessing. We have little tea bags. When I, I like to drink tea, and we have these little tea bags that say... You're awesome. Everything in your life is great. There are all these little blessings on the teabag. There is no fortune cookie that says, tomorrow will be the worst day of your life. (laughs) There's no teabag that says, you are a loser. (laughs) Just give up trying. Or a horoscope that says, Capricorn horoscope, tomorrow. Tomorrow you'll find out it's true. Nobody likes you. There are always affirmations. There are always these messages of empowerment. Why? We're trying, we can't get it from ourselves. We're trying to get it from the outside. We're trying to find it from somewhere else. But even the words of others, as important as they are, and the stamp of blessing and empowerment and affirmation we want to give the people we love, it's important, it's not enough. We all know this. If 50 people say to you, you are amazing, you are awesome, you are incredible. Maybe it's the thing that you love to do, a musician or you're an athlete, and people say, you're awesome, you're incredible, and one person says, you're not that good. You don't have what it takes. Which one do you remember? Which one gnaws at you? If 100 people say, you look great, you look amazing, and one person makes a critical comment about your appearance. Which one do you remember? This affirmation and empowerment can only come from God, but there is a problem, and there is a big problem. The truth is, we do things, we think things, we desire things that do not deserve the affirmation of God. We use the power and the resources God has given to us to work against God's good purposes in our lives, in the lives of others, and in the world. And the question is, how can God bless that when that is true of all of us? Can God bless an act of unprovoked war? We say, absolutely not. How could God bless that and call that good? Can God bless violence? No, absolutely not. How could He? Can God bless us in our moments of anger and lust and bitterness and greed and selfishness when we lie, when we hurt others, when we deceive like Jacob and make a mess and break people's lives? When we use the gifts that God has given to us to try to live apart from God, without God, and run from God, can God call that good? Can God smile at that? We know the answer is no. These things don't deserve blessing. They deserve cursing. To curse in the Bible is the polar opposite of to bless. It is not affirmation. It is condemnation and judgment. It is not empowerment, but an unraveling of life as God has intended it to be. If God affirmed and empowered sin and evil, how could he be God? How could he be just? How could he be holy? God must affirm that which is good. He must empower us for good. Or how could he be God? So how can we find the blessing? The key is in the placement of the benediction. It's at the end. It's always at the end. It's at the end of the service. It's at the end of the letters of the New Testament. It's always at the end. You know it's before Numbers chapter 6. What comes before this passage is chapters and chapters which are focused on the high priest and the sacrifices. This is at the end of the gathering. This is at the end of the worship service when the people have been called into the holy presence of God and they have seen the actions of the priest standing and interceding for them and the sacrifices to deal with their brokenness and their sin and the areas of their life that don't deserve a blessing. The benedictions of the Bible are all at the end. The blessing comes to us after the liturgy that calls us to worship a holy God where we confess our sins and we receive the good news that the curse that we deserve is taken from us and put on another. The book of Leviticus, another hard book to read, is all about this the curse that would move us away from God's blessing, the things that don't deserve God's affirmation, these things are put on the sacrifices so they can be taken away from us so we can receive the blessing of God. And friends, all this points to the work of Jesus Christ, which is the center of every single one of our services. We're called into the holy presence of God we come honestly confessing the things in our lives that don't deserve the blessing, and we are drawn and pointed time and time again to Jesus. And we already read this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. I think it's on the slide as well. It says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus. So that we could receive the promised spirit through faith, through faith. Jesus took the condemnation. Jesus took the judgment that we deserve. To give us the blessing he always had. And that he deserves. And so that just as it is his. It would be ours. Just as Jesus can look at these words and say. These are all true of my life. Because i lived a life deserving of this blessing. So Jesus gives us this blessing in Him when our faith is in Him. We have it. Look at these words. We have it when our faith is in Jesus. We have this blessing spoken over us. This is powerfully demonstrated. I never realized this until this week at the end, the end of the Gospel of Luke. The last two verses. The last thing that Jesus did The Gospel of Luke tells us, chapter 24, verses 50 and 51, it's there on the screen. He led his disciples out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands. And just a few verses earlier, we're told Jesus said, why do you doubt? You don't think it's me? After he rose from the dead, he said, look at my hands and what were on his hands. The marks that he bore the curse in our place that all the things that deserve judgment and condemnation and not the blessing of God, he said, look at my hands. I have taken those for you. And it says, he showed them his hands and he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. The last thing Jesus did was to say, this blessing is yours. Because of what? I have done for you. You can have it. What happens when we have it? Two final thoughts. When we have it, make sure you take it with you and make sure you give it to others. At the end of our service, we always end with a benediction. Just like the end of all the New Testament letters, they end and they send people out with blessing. Why? So you'd have those words ringing in your ears, filling up your soul so you would take it with you into the rest of your life. A blessing in the Bible is not just a polite wish. It's not just a goodbye or have a good day, right? It's not even a prayer either. It's something more than a prayer. A blessing is a pronouncement. When I do a wedding and I say at the end, I now pronounce you husband and wife. What's that? Well, it... It creates a marriage. It's all done. It's finished. At that point, you weren't husband and wife and now pronounced, you are. It's similar with the blessing. One commentator says, the blessing of the people is not an empty gesture, but an effective transmission of power. If your faith is in Jesus, this blessing is yours to take. It's very interesting that... If you look at this blessing, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Those words you, often I'm telling and teaching the opposite. That when you look at you, you should always read the word y'all. You should always insert the word y'all. It's a plural. Here it's not that way. This is a singular you. Very unique in the Bible. What God is saying here is I want you personally. Insert your name there where it says you. You personally take these words If your faith is in Jesus, this is the blessing that you can take with you. You can be confident it is yours. So when something comes into our lives, it doesn't seem like a blessing. When we feel like failures, when we're unworthy feeling, we feel alone and vulnerable and fearful. When we struggle and when we fail, these words tell us the smile of God is still upon your life because of Jesus. God is always leading you further and further into shalom, into peace. His goodness is leading you and pursuing you, even when you don't feel like it is. So take it with you, and secondly, give it to others. In our family, one of our liturgies that's been very meaningful to, to us as parents is we try to end our days blessing our kids, often with the words of this ironic blessing. You can pick any way to bless your kids, your spouse your grandkids, your family members. Think about how you want to end the liturgy of each day, affirming, speaking good into and over those whom you love. That's empowering. That's powerful. In addition to that, we are called to bless others. One of the most important ethical teachings of Christianity is that we bless not just those we love and like, but those who we consider even our enemies. Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you. Now that we know a little bit more of what blessing and cursing means, when people curse us, it's not people saying, I curse you, I curse you, using that language. It's people who might speak ill of us or think ill of us, who don't agree with what we believe or how we live and say it's not good Who work against what we think is good. That's cursing. But for those people or those groups, we're called not to return cursing back, but instead to give blessing. Proverbs eleven eleven says, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. How can we possibly bless people who work against us, who might speak ill of us, who make our lives difficult? Well, when we are secure and affirmed, and empowered by the benediction of God. Then we know we have the thing that matters most. We are loved and affirmed, and God says, I delight in you and over you, and I will give you the strength to do whatever it is I call you to do. Friends, if your faith is in Jesus, it's ours. We take hold of it take hold of it personally we find ways to give it away to others let's pray and ask for the Lord's grace to do that father thank you for these words this benediction and I pray for those this morning who feel like they dare not believe that this is true of their life that you would lead them into the embrace of Jesus Christ that they would receive and rest upon him again and hear these words and receive them as true of them. And I pray that you would make us more and more into a people who are able to give this type of blessing away to others. Help us believe that this is what we have because of Jesus. Help us walk in the joy and the confidence that this gives to us And help us learn to speak and give blessing over others. We can only do it by the strength and the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask for that in Jesus' name.